We're talking about the giftings, the talents, the strengths that God has put in our lives. Uh, we call in this kind of series of talks, Discovering Your Superpower, simply because we believe that there are things in your life that God has put in you that are amazing, that, that bring him glory and they help people. And we want you to know those giftings. We've seen that every person on the planet is made in the image of God, regardless of where they were born, regardless of their language, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their, how much money they made or didn't make, what government they have, regardless of even the religion that they worship in, every person, whether they're a Christian or not, is made in the image of God. That every person we see as we go through our days is an image bearer of God, the creator of the universe, including you. And as such, as image bearers, God has placed in all of us giftings, talents, and strengths that are meant to reflect his glory and are for the good of our neighbor. As we come to practice the way of Jesus, we begin to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, literally the breath of God, breathes new giftings into our lives that take our natural giftings and now there's a, another layer, spiritual giftings. And they come together and they make us into the people that God desires for us to be. Today we're gonna be talking about some spiritual giftings. If you're taking notes, you wanna title this the motivational gifts because these gifts have to do with the way in which you're wired. They have to do with the way in which you're just kind of things you're drawn to. Over the next three weeks, we'll look at the other, or the next two weeks, we'll look at the other hallmark passages in the New Testament on the topic of spiritual gifts. Today, we're going to be in Romans 12 as we start learning about this. And my hope for you is if you are bored in your relationship with God, I just want you to know you need to focus in today because spiritual gifts and walking in our gifts bring vibrancy to our relationship with God. Uh, if you are longing for more fruitfulness in your life, I want you to pay attention to this because our giftings are things God has given us to be fruitful with. And if you're longing for more alignment and simplicity between who you are and what you're doing, you want to live in line with who you are, I want you to pay attention today because our gifts help us to discern the lanes that God has called us to run in with our lives. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're here and you're checking out Jesus, this is a perfect Sunday to come. Every Sunday, honestly, is the perfect Sunday to come. We always welcome people who are exploring Jesus. And what I want you to know today is you're going to get to see a picture of the church as the church was meant to be, what God thought of when God birthed the church. And that's important because we all come to the table with different kind of experiences with church, maybe even baggage, maybe even been hurt by the church, but what we're going to see today is we're going to see what the church is supposed to be. And if you decide to follow Jesus, what you would be invited into this incredibly glorious uh, group that God is building that we're going to learn about today. So you came on a wonderful day. Romans 12, verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church like ours in Rome about 2,000 years ago. They're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and what it looks like to live as the people of Jesus. And Paul is a spiritual mentor 
to them, a spiritual father, a guide. And he's written them this letter. Uh, later, we broke it up into chapters just to make it easier to kind of find where you are. But this was one entire letter written to this church to help them in their walk with Jesus. And Paul starts out, and he starts out with God creating the world, he created everything, including you and me. We established that. Paul hits on that. And he points out the fact that though we were made in the image of God, and though we were made to have a relationship with God, mankind, we turned from honoring God and glorifying God and said, hey, I think we'll take it from here. We'll do things our own way. We'll, we'll call our own shots. We'll make our own rules. God, we don't, we don't need you. And we turned from worshiping God and we started worshiping created things like people or resources or ethnicity, or nationality, or any of those things, we started worshiping them, these created things. We made them like the creator, these good things. We made them God things. And as we did that, those things, which the Bible calls sin, began to unravel humanity. They began to unravel who we are as people. They began to disintegrate our relationship with God and with one another. Paul points that out, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter two, Paul says, look, you can't get out of this mess that everyone is in by working hard and trying harder. And we all know that, right? In a few months, you're going to make New Year's resolutions on January the 1st. And by January the 2nd, we'll have broken 80% of them, right? It just kind of gritting your teeth and trying to get out of being owned by whatever you're owned by. Uh, it's just not going to work. So God uh, sent Jesus to come and to make a way for us to be freed from the power of sin, the power of death, and breathe new life into us. That's what the cross and the resurrection means, and it gives us new life. That new life is forgiveness of sin, and Jesus puts the Spirit of God in our lives. Literally, he, he breathes, we're singing that song, your breath in our lungs, he, he breathes the Spirit into our lives and gives us this new life in Christ. That's what Paul lays out, first eight chapters of Romans. Now, where we're gonna pick it up, he's talking about, in light of these things, what now do we do? In light of these things, what God has done, how does that affect our everyday lives? How does that affect my Tuesday afternoon? How does that affect my relationships with, with my neighbors or with my spouse or, or with the people in my church community, right? That's what he's talking about. And here in the passage we're going to read, I just wanted to bring you up to speed. He's talking about particularly the life of the Spirit amongst the people of God, the gifts of the Spirit at work in the people of God, and how, how are those to be used? That's what we're going to read. Romans 12 Verse three, nobody's talking at me yet. I want you to talk at me while we read. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Romans 12, verse three, four, by the grace given me, this is Paul saying, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. Verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Hold on just a second. So he's saying every one of us, we understand this intuitively, we all have a body, we have different parts of our body. We have our, our pinkies and our elbows, right? You have different parts of your body, 
They're diverse, they're different, but they're all united together. He's saying that's the, the, the image that he wants you to have. Just as that is true in our lives, verse five, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So just like your body is diverse yet united, the body of Christ, the people of Jesus, we're diverse in who we are. We're diverse in where we're from. We're diverse in our backgrounds and our experience. We're diverse in our gifts. That's the point he's going to make here. And yet in Christ, we are brought together in a family or in a body is another uh, way of saying it. <clears throat> Verse six, we have different gifts. So he's talking about the diversity. Different gifts according to the grace that's given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So what you can see here is Paul is laying out for this community of Jesus followers, and he's talking about how they are to live amongst each other. What I want to point out to you from the outset as we look at verse three, if we can pull that up, what you're going to see is that Paul is writing the purpose of why he is writing. He is not writing to give them a dictionary of spiritual gifts. That's good. Dictionaries are good. Dictionaries of spiritual gifts are good, but that's not what we have here. Paul is not writing to give them a diagnostic that they could kind of assess what gifts they have. That's not what, what that's good, but that's not why he's writing here. He's writing here corrective instruction on how the gifts are to be used. Now, this is really significant on a number of levels as we start talking about spiritual gifts. Number one, here he's talking about how pride can elevate us and let us use our gifts in unhealthy ways. And as we start to talk about our gifts, we need to be honest with ourselves and with others of how easy it is for us to have mixed motives when it comes to spiritual gifts. It's easy for us to kind of say, well, I have this gift and I want it for the glory of God and the good of others, but really on the inside, we're doing it because it makes us feel good or it makes us feel significant or it makes us feel powerful or it makes us feel whatever. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking about this is what goes on inside of me all the time. And I want to encourage you that we're going to go on this journey, but this journey is going to require us to be reflective of what's underneath the surface of, well, why, why am I using this gift in the first place? I love this quote by, uh, by the author Parker Palmer, and I think it's so fitting here. A leader is a person who must take special responsibility for what's going on inside himself or herself inside his or her consciousness, lest the act of leadership create more harm than good. Okay, so what's he saying? I appreciate the yes. What, what's he saying? He's saying that we need to realize that we can lead, we can use our gifts, but the fruit of our gifts could be more harmful than helpful. You read through the Bible, you see that all over the place. You look through the pages of human history, you see that all over the place. You look in the life of the church, you see that all over the place. 
And so we need to, Paul is pointing out to us what Parker Palmer is saying, we need to assess and analyze what are our motives and let the Lord refine those motives. Okay, we need to be honest with ourselves. Second thing that's really important that we see from the outset is because this is not a dictionary and because this is not a diagnostic, even as good as those two things may be, because it's not that, we need to be careful not to make this, uh, this instruction into something that it's not. So the goal that Paul had for these Roman hearers and the goal that the Spirit of God has for us today is not to put ourselves in a box that when we go through these gifts, I got to fit in one of these boxes. That's not what's going on here. He's not giving an exhaustive treatment to spiritual gifts. He's pointing out a couple of gifts to make a bigger point about healthy ways for the gifts to be used. So just for you to know, you can breathe deeply. You're not getting boxed in today, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't box me in. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't box me in, bro. Like you just take a deep breath. Nobody's putting you in a box, right? So you may read through these and be like, oh, I do see uh, this gift and this gift at work in my life. Or there may be some other things that aren't on this list, right? That it's just as important. And we need to realize that. So the point is not to box anybody in or put anybody in a certain category. It's to talk about how do we use these in healthy ways. Other thing that's really significant, just from the outset, and if we can keep that verse three up there, just from the outset, think about this. Nowhere in Paul's writings, nowhere does he write in such a way where he feels the need to give a dictionary or give a diagnostic of spiritual gifts. His experience and his expectation is that the people who are in Christ, they're already experiencing the life of the Spirit in their midst, they're already experiencing spiritual gifts. So rather than teaching them about something that's completely new, all of Paul's instruction that we're going to see is about healthy use of the gifts. I have four kids, my wife and I, um, and, and we've not had to teach any of our children how to eat. They figure it out from the womb. I mean, they just come out and they kind of figure out how to eat. As a parent, we have to give instruction on healthy uses of food right? Good ways to use food. This is why we don't eat candy for breakfast. You know, those type of things. And we have to give instruction on how to use food healthily, but we don't have to teach them how to eat. In a similar way, why? Because it's just wired into them. In a similar way, Paul is not giving instructions on kind of analyzing, well, this is how you get spiritual gifts, and this is exactly what they are, and here's a mathematical formula. Here's the periodic table of spiritual gifts. He's not doing that. Why? Because this is already present and evident in the life of the people of God. The Spirit's already at work. And so he's trying to teach them, well, hey, here's how we do this in a healthy way. Here's how we do this in a God-glorifying way. But the Spirit is already present and active in their midst. That's so encouraging to me. Because that means when we come to this, you may not have had the language to say, oh, that's what that is. And you may learn that. You may learn how to use your, your gifts in a, in a healthier way but we're not coming to something that's a foreign concept. If you're in Christ, let me just tell you, this is already at work in your life. The Holy Spirit's already at work in your life. It's helpful to become more aware of that. I want to help you do that, right? We want to become more aware, but the Spirit is already at work in you. 
So you don't need two PhDs and 30 years in a monastery to come away with, I know some things about spiritual gifts. You already know some things. You're in Christ. The spirit is already at work in your life. You're speaking your native tongue. Uh, as we talk about this, and we're not talking about tongues today, we will, so don't get worked up just yet. Okay, so that's just the outset. And I'm, I'm fired up today. This is, this is great. Let's go. Okay, so uh, verse four, Paul goes and he says, for just as each one of us uh, has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. So now here, Paul is giving us a vision of what the church is meant to be. This might be different from your experience. This might be different from what you think when you think about church. Here in Texas, we kind of think about church as, as a building or a brand or a budget or a pastor, and, and churches need all those things and, and they're, they're, they're good, but they're not the heartbeat of what the church is. Paul's talking about what's the heartbeat of the church. And he's saying, when you think about the church, I want you to not think about a group of people gathered in a building with someone on the stage talking. I want you to think about a body. I want you to think about relationships. I want you to think about community. I want you to think about people being knit together. Friendships are the building block of the kingdom of God. They're the building block of the church, right? And that's what he's saying. I want you to think about y'all coming together and you're a body brought together. You're diverse, you're different, and yet you're united in Christ. And everywhere Paul talks about this, this is the context by which he talks about spiritual gifts in the context of this larger picture of the body of Christ. And he's always talking about how the body of Christ needs to be built up and strengthened and to grow and to develop and to be all that God's called it to be. And that's the context that he's going to say that spiritual gifts are to come alive in and to be used in is to build up the body of Christ. Paul had a high view of the church. I would argue that Jesus has a high view of the church. It's the only organization that he started, right? But we, 2,000 years after Paul wrote this, uh, we might have a little more cynicism than Paul does. You realize Paul is in kind of generation one Christianity, like Startupville of Startupville. And he's talking about these things and there's no previous experience. There's no, well, I went to this church when I was three and then this church when I was seven. And then this, there's, there's none of that here. They may have been involved in other religions, but this is their, this is their first experience with the church. We are not that, right? In the West, we have 2000 years of church history. And what we've seen is that many times a high view of church and the importance of the church and the, the, the beauty of the church and the, the centrality of the church leads to all sorts of abuse. That, that, that when the church, there's a high view, then the church starts playing political games and gets into political alliances. Remember your European history, right? Or the church does financially improper things like selling indulgences or swindling and embezzling money. Or the church becomes a place with that high view where, where sexual abuse happens or where racism is furthered and instituted, right? And so we've seen a high view of the church and we're like, oh, I, I don't know that that is a good thing, right? And I just want to affirm that cynicism, right? It's right. 
like, oh, we need to tread carefully here. We need to be thoughtful and make sure we're talking about what Paul is talking about. And I want to point out to you, when he's talking about a high view of the church, he's not talking about a view of the church that puts it in authority over people that destroys people's lives. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something very different, and I want to take you into it because I just think it's amazing. Jesus, in Matthew 16, he's the founder of the church. He's talking about this church that he's going to found and he's going to build. Matthew 16, verse 18, he says this to his disciples. He said, I will build my church. So Jesus himself has committed to building the church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What's the gates of Hades? He's talking about the powers of darkness, injustice, immorality, uh, things that destroy lives, right? And Jesus is saying that the church, he's going to build it in such a way that the church is going to be victorious over darkness. And the church is going to be a part of bringing hope and healing and restoration to the world. That's what Jesus is envisioning. Now, you probably know that the New Testament was written in Greek and we've translated into English because probably most of us don't speak Greek or read Greek. And so we need a little help. But that word church is translated from a really powerful Greek word that all of his hearers would have been familiar with, ecclesia. And in their day, an ecclesia was a called out assembly of leaders, of influencers, of culture carriers who would come together around a city like the ecclesia of Athens. And they would come together and out of their relationships with one another, out of the way that they were related and connected and the strengths that they had and the giftings they had, then they would go out and they would steward the life of the community. They would steward the life of the city. They would bring the culture into the city and help shape the common life. So Jesus is saying, you've heard about city ecclesias, his disciples would have, I'm building my own ecclesia. That's what we translate as church. I'm building my own group of people that I'm calling out to be a part of something new, to be leaders, to be culture carriers, to be influencers who through being connected to me and being connected to one another aren't gonna be like an insulated little country club, but they're going to give their lives for the world to see the world flourish. Jesus is saying this is the thing that he's building. This is what he means when he's talking about church. Now, this revolutionary group that he's referencing would go on and upend the most powerful empire in human history up to that time, the Roman Empire. It's amazing. But they're not a revolutionary group like the founding fathers or the freedom riders, kind of in a positive sense or ISIS in a negative sense. They're not a revolutionary group like that. They're more than that. In the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us what God is doing in the church. He says in Ephesians 2, God's purpose in the church was to create in himself one new humanity. God is remaking the world. He's healing the world and he wants to heal the world through the people of God. I love this quote from Stanley Hauerwas. He's a theologian at Duke and he said this, the most creative social strategy that we have to offer is the church. Here we show the world a manner of life that the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not, namely a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. The task of the church is to serve as the best example 
of what God can do with human community. Such a powerful quote. Let me give you another one. Same guy. Uh, He said, that I go to church does not mean I think Jesus is only to be found there. It just means that he has promised to show up there amongst the people of God in a manner that can help us discern how he shows up in other places. So the church has had some low points. I just shared those with you. But I don't know if you know this. When the church has been what Jesus designed her to be, when the church has lived up to their calling, when the church has been built up in a healthy way, the church has highlight reel that's amazing. I don't know if you know this, but the healthcare and hospital kind of healthcare around the world came out of the early church. And even today, the largest funder and largest supporter of healthcare around the world is the church. Uh, Universities came out of the church with a desire to train young people in their calling that they would live as a gift to the world and for the glory of God. Uh, reform for the poor, the human rights, uh, human rights in the United Nations, reform for the poor, social work, all of these things came out of the church, right? When the church lives out her purpose, when the body of Christ comes together and uses their spiritual gifts to build the church, to be all that God called it to be, it's incredible. That's what God is doing to the church. And that's what Paul wants to see happen. So yes, we approach the church being built with a little bit of cynicism that's healthy. We need to tread lightly. And at the same time, we don't need to overreact because we are products of individualism where we just kind of think about our own life. But God has brought us together. And through us together, he's wanting to remake the whole world. So when you come to the church, when you come around the people of God, whether it's on the worship service, on Sunday, it's on a serve team, it's in your life group, it's in a discipleship meeting, whatever it may be, a prayer meeting, it is what Stanley Hauerwas said. We're coming together because Jesus has promised to show up in unique ways amongst the people of God. There's more to Jesus than I can know on my own. I need you and you need me and we need each other to know Jesus and all that's available to us. And that as we learn to see him together, as we learn to know him together, as we learn to walk with him together, then when we go out to our places of work, when we go out to our places of study, when we go to our homes, when we go to our neighborhoods, we're prepared and equipped and trained to be aware of how Jesus would want to be at work in those places. And we can partner with him in being good news to the world. So we need a high vision of the church. And it's in this vision that our spiritual gifts find life and find their fruitfulness. Thank you. Let's do it. So now he goes into gifts. Verse six, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So note here, we're going to have different gifts. And just like I don't need my pinky to be my elbow, I need my pinky to be my pinky We need your gift as a community. This is not a pastor saying, I need you to do this for me. No, no, no. I'm talking about our community, the body of Christ here in our midst needs your gift. It's valuable. Everyone has a valuable gift. And they're according to the grace given to each of us. So they are assigned by God, that God is the one who distributes the gifts. I think he knows what he's doing when he passes out these gifts. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
Now, Paul starts out with a very strange gift. We hear prophecy and we think, weirdo, I'm in a weirdo church. What are we doing? Right? It, right? That, that just let's be honest, okay? I Googled just for fun. I Googled prophecy in Google Images just to see what would come up. I want to share, share a few images with you. First one, you know, this guy's comment, come and destroy the world. So when I say prophecy, I realize there are those of us in here who are thinking, oh man, are we going to start predicting the end of the world? Are you going to tell us to go out and be a, be a prepper? You know, like that's what we think, right? Or here's the next one. Second image, a prophecy about the redistribution of wealth through oil. Okay. So now I've got prophecy that's going to tell me how to rearrange my investments you know, so that I now have oil, right? And we're like, that just seems weird. I had a, a video on my Facebook feed. It was an ad targeted at me where some guy was on there telling me that, that he had a prophetic word, that this was gonna be the year that God expanded my influence and gave me a larger platform. And if I would buy his course, then that would come to pass. And I was like, this ad shows probably like 2 million people. Like, how is this a prophetic word? And a prophetic word to buy your course, I, you know, I'll pass, right? That We kind of come with a little bit of, uh, of hesitation. Biblically, this is interesting, prophecy is the most talked about spiritual gift. From old to new, it's the mo- it gives the most airtime to prophecy. That's interesting. Prophecy is the one gift that Paul said alongside love we should eagerly pursue. He said eagerly pursue the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So Paul's pointing out, say, hey, you need to go after this thing. That's interesting. Prophecy is the one gift, I would argue, that's available to all in the body of Christ. At Pentecost, Peter said this, quoting the Old Testament. He said this, um, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And when Peter said in the last days, what he means is post-Jesus' resurrection, post-Jesus' ascension, we're in the last days, according to Peter, And they were having the spirit poured out. And look what he's saying. He said, part of this sign of God pouring out his spirit is that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. This is to be a gift to the body of Christ. That means every Christian can hear from God. That's what it means to be a Christian. You responded to his voice, right? He he, he called you. You didn't like just figure it all out on your own. You needed to be saved. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So that's what happened, right? We may not always be aware, but it's like, oh, we, we hear God's voice. When we read the word, so you've heard God's voice today as we've read scripture and the spirit speaks to us under the leadership of the scripture. Here's a good definition of prophecy, the supernatural ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and to speak forth what God is saying regarding a person, a group or a situation. That's a great definition. I'm going to read it again. The supernatural ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and to speak forth what God is saying regarding a person, a group, or a situation. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul gives us the main boundary lines for prophecy in the New Testament. He says this, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. So nowhere in there is he saying, hey, the function of prophecy is to tell you the date of the end of the world. The function of prophecy is to tell you where to put your investments next week. No, no, no. He's saying prophecy is to be alive in the church, people hearing the Lord and sharing so that people are encouraged, so that they're built up, so that they're strengthened, right? And the body becomes all that it's meant to be. 
So we need to move away from the, the, the um, stigmatism around the prophetic to realize, man, if this is the number one gift the Bible talks about, if Paul says, I need this gift, if it's available to me, and if this gift builds up the church, we need to grow in the prophetic. And we need to learn how to do it in biblical ways. And we want to pursue that as a community. And if you're gifting in here, everyone can hear the Lord. But some of us just, I don't even know the best way to put it. You just kind of flow prophetically. It's just like, it comes easy to you. It's just like, man, this is the thing God has wired me for. We need you. And we need you to be active in your gift. And we need you to call others out who have the same gift so that we can be built up and be all that God's called us to be. That's prophecy. We won't spend as long on the other ones. That's the one, honestly, that's the most confusing I find to people. But let's go to the next one. If it is serving, then serve. Okay, so here we see a spiritual gift of serving. Now, do not go home this afternoon and tell your roommate or your spouse that you will not take out the trash because your spiritual gift is not serving, right? (laughs) Do not do that. Every Christian is called to serve. To follow Jesus means you are a servant. He just said, That's, this is part of the deal, right? This is what it means to follow me, is to serve. We're all called to serve. Yet there are some of us in here who, when we face a problem, when someone shares with a difficult situation going on, we, we just take note of the need. And the first thing that comes out is we want to help them in practical ways. And what Paul is saying is that that energy of the Spirit on that response, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If, t- if it is teaching, then teach. We kind of understand that one. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Again, there's no opting out and say, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of encouragement, so I'll just be negative Nancy. No, we're all called to be encouragers, right? The word calls us to that. Encourage one another as long as it's called today, right? So your hearts won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to encourage one another. And yet there are some of us that the way that the spirit is at work in our midst is we just have, like when we share encouragement, we see it. We, 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 it just kind of comes out, we, we encourage people and it's like those words have power on them in unique ways. And if your gift is encouragement, we need it and we need you to be active, right? There's so much negativity in the world around us. We need the encouragers to rise up in the body of Christ and that's a significant gift. If it is giving, then give generously. Again, all Christians are called to give, right? But, but there's some of us, when we face a problem, when we see someone going through something, just the inclination that comes out is here. Let, let, let me give to that. Let, let me give this or let me give that. Let me give this money or let me give this resource. We just, we're just wired that way. We need the givers to arise. We need the givers to be all that God's called us to be. The, the word says give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. So now this brings up a good question. A lot of these uh, Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. Those seem like they're gifts that are all around us in the world, whether someone follows Jesus or not, right? So how do you know the difference between a spiritual gift and a natural gift? Like, how do I know if, if, if my serving is a gift of the Spirit or, you know, I just kind of am wired that way. Let's say leadership. Like, if you might have been the three-year-old that was organizing your daycare to strike against the teachers because they didn't feed you goldfish, you know, a snack, right? You've always been a leader. Now you're walking with Jesus and you're just translating that into him. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing, right? That's taking a natural gift and bringing it under the lordship of Jesus and seeing it being used in fruitful ways. That's great, okay? 
But there are gifts that come into our lives that Paul is trying to help us be aware of. These are spiritual gifts. And when I say spiritual gifts, I'm not meaning spiritual in nature. I'm meaning of the Holy Spirit that get put in our lives and become evident in our lives as we practice the way of Jesus. So it's things that are like, I didn't used to be like that, but that just seems like it's just come out in me. I'll give you an example. I never thought about leading anything in my entire life as a child, as a teenager. I never thought about leading a group. I didn't ever want to lead a group project at school. I didn't want to lead a team. I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to do my life. When I started following Jesus, it was almost like no one told me to do this. It was like there was a gravitational pull in me. When I would see problems or needs, my first thought would be, hey, how can I rally a group of people to help meet this problem? It just bubbled forth, right? And over time, I've noticed that. I was like, I didn't used to be that way. Where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Teaching. Uh, I, both my parents are teachers, but I never thought about being a teacher. I never taught stuffed animals, you know, when you're, when you're five. I never signed up to kind of teach in class. I just wasn't into that. But as soon as I started walking with Jesus, all of a sudden there's this gravitational pull in me. And I realize when problems arise, I think, how could I help by teaching? And it's not that I always know the answers, but it's just like, I feel like that would be helpful to help the situation going on, right? Both of those gifts, I would say, are spiritual gifts, gifts from the Holy Spirit that have emerged in my life that were not there before. You probably have some gifts as we think about this that you're like, oh, I don't know that that was there before. I didn't used to be that way. That's something that God seems to have put in my life. And Paul's just pointing that out. Those are valuable. So as we're thinking about this, I want you to think about when you face a problem, when you face someone in need, when you face a challenging situation, what is your default response? Other than like to disappear. You know, sometimes we want to do that. But, but when we're facing problems or there's needs, what just comes out of you? It's like, well, this is how I could be a part. This is how I could help. I want you to try and take notice of those things. I want that to be something you carry into your week this week and think about. What, what in Christ do you do that makes you feel fully alive? that makes you feel like you're, the, you're, you're, you're being all that God made you to be, that you're like doing the thing that he designed you for. What's that thing? Those might be some good indicators of what these gifts of the Spirit at work in your lives are. It's important to note that these gifts are not roles. None of the, roles lifted, none of the gifts listed here are roles. And I don't mean bread roles. I mean like uh, job titles or positions. None of them are certain, have geographic uh, assignments or areas of, of, of ministry. They're more, they're deeper than that. And we need to think about roles and we need to think about, you know, where, we're, where our assignment is and that sort of stuff. But this is, dig a little deeper, right? This isn't just about your role. And because we're part of a body, you would think if you, if you went to a new place and you were part of a new body, that there might be new giftings that emerge because there's need in that new body that's different than in your old church, right? And so we want to be aware of, even over time, we might notice giftings being in greater operation in our lives and greater kind of fruitfulness in our lives in certain seasons. And that's okay. This is not science. This is art. And we want to be discerning. I want to share with you one last quote uh, as, we, as we close. This is from Ruth Haley Barton on strengthening the soul of your leadership. 
She said this, learning to pay attention and knowing what to pay attention to is a key discipline for leaders, but one that rarely comes naturally to those of us who are barreling through life with our eyes fixed on one goal. She's talking about what do we pay attention to? What are we focused on? And I want to encourage you this week at lunch today, at your life group, with your roommate, with your spouse, whatever it may be, I want you to think about and pay attention to, where do, what do I see come out of me when we face problems? What, what do I do that makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing the thing that God called me to do? I'm doing the thing that I'm wired to do. And, and discuss that. I find our friends can be helpful in helping us see our own gifts. And the second question that I want to leave you with is all of these gifts, Paul says, big idea is, hey, I want you to use them. Put them into practice to build up the body. Are you using your gifts? And I'm not saying that to add something more to your plate. I'm not trying to make you busier or to add another activity into your life. What I'm trying to do is to help create simplicity that you would live aligned with who God has made you to be. So maybe you realize, well, I've been trying to do this thing and be this thing that really I'm just trying to be like that person, but God's actually wired me like this, and so I need to stop that and start this, and, and that would, I want to help you be more aligned, be more simple, be more in tune with, man, this is the thing that I'm designed to do. This is the way I'm designed to contribute to the ecclesia, to the body being built up for the sake of the world and the glory of God. Now, if you'll stand, we're going to close with that today. I want to pray over you uh, as we dismiss, and I want to share a few words from our prophetic team. Um, I don't often get to say this, but I've just been so encouraged about the prophetic ministry that's been growing in our church. I know that you guys, if you've been here with us a while, you've noticed that at the end of the service, we've been sharing words every week about people we believe God wants to minister to. It's been so powerful to see the specificity at which God has met needs through that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a word about uh, somebody with a Tommy in their life. Either they were Tommy or knew a Tommy who something happened in fifth, sixth grade that really was uh, very detrimental in their life. And then God wanted to minister to him today. A lady came up to me after the service. Uh, she was visiting that Sunday, not like visiting like Dallas, like not from here, visiting our church. She said, well, my grandson, he's 15, but his name is Tommy. And in fifth grade, he went through this. And in sixth grade, he went through that. And that was kind of the beginning of him getting way, way off track. And, and I guess this is for me. We were able to pray with her. She was deeply, deeply ministered to and, and, and sent back into the situation to be light in a dark situation. I've had other people who have, who there have been specific words that they've said, that was crazy. That was my dream last night. I don't know what God's doing, but this is something powerful. We've had other people who've had significant breakthrough in their marriages over these words. It's encouraging to see the prophetic at work in our midst. And we want to pursue that again in a healthy way. So here are a few words uh, as we close. Number one, uh, keep feeling someone here today feels like they've used up the grace of God. I mean, you've exhausted the grace of God for your life. I see God looking at them and all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. Second word, the phrase foxes have their holes keep coming to mind. God wants you to know that he sees your need and he isn't ignoring your need, but he is asking that you trust him first. Felt like old air needed to be exhaled out like Lazarus breathing out dead air 
and breathing in living breath of Jesus. They might not know it, but Jesus said to ask him and he would do the good work and to trust him. So if that applies to you in a special way, our prayer and prophetic team will be available after the service. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're like, man, I'd like to know him. He sounds awesome. I'd like to be a part of walking with him. We want to pray with you as well and help you kind of take that step. It will be the best decision you ever make. Uh, For all of us, I want to pray for you and I want to ask you to put out your hands like you're receiving a gift because we talk about gifts today. And uh, Jesus, just thank you that every person in this room is gifted. Whether we've had parents that realize that, whether we've had teachers that realize that, whether we've had bosses that realize that or not, Lord, every person in this room is gifted because they're made in your image. God, thank you for the giftings that the Holy Spirit places in our lives. I pray that you would help us to be more aware of them, Lord, and to steward them in ways that really uh, bring you glory. We wouldn't discount them, Lord, but we would steward them faithfully to bring you glory, Lord, and to help people. And I pray that our church would be built up like a body today for your glory and for the sake of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.